You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Now, as we gather here this morning as a, as a church family, as we spend time in God's Word together to hear from His Word, to praise His name, um, today we decided as a team that we're going to look closer into communion and the purpose to which it is here, how it can be used in our life in a biblical means, but we see communion to be crucial to the Christian church. It is crucial to the Christian church and its church members. And one of the reasons why is because Jesus, when he was on this earth, there were two commands that he gave to his disciples to follow through in and through the church, to teach the church to continue to do, one of which was baptism, the other was communion. And so as we look at communion, why is this so crucial? Why is this so important? We're going to dive into that a little bit today um, in in a couple different ways. But how many of you use your phone and have Google Photos? You have the Google Photos app. Anybody? Yeah, okay, a few of you. I personally really enjoy that app. For one, it backs up all my files, all my pictures, because how many of you have that fear of your phone getting dropped in a lake, you know, or something? That's me, okay. And you lose everything, right? Like I've got lots of pictures of my kids and and fun stuff I don't want to forget, and it's all like up there on the cloud somewhere. And I still download it and put it on a hard drive because I don't want to lose anything, right? But in any case, there's this cloud. But then also, I even got a notification today of this spotlight. You know, it goes back in time and 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 it looks at like three years ago today. You want to look at your memories from three years ago today? And you click on it and you touch it, and it, all these images pop up, and it's like, wow, my kids have grown so much, or wow, my countertops used to be orange, or like, wow, like, stuff has changed, right? For real, my countertops used to be orange. They're, they're, they're not now, thank God. Um, but anyway, like, we forget, right? And that's why communion ultimately was established by Jesus, is he knows that we are forgetful people. We know... I don't need to go into this, anniversaries, right? I mean, if you haven't forgotten, you know, like, there's sometimes you don't always think about it. Let's be honest. Birthdays. I'm happy if I can remember my wife's and mine. I'm happy about that. When, they go, when I get sent to the store to uh, pick up some, like, medication, and they're like, what's your daughter's, you know, birthday? It's like, oh, which, oh, no. Oh, it's June, July, or August. I can't remember. It's like, memory, right? It's hard. Phone numbers. Because we have a cell phone, it just saves everything. We don't need phone numbers anymore. We just don't have a great memory for things. So once we own that, we understand why communion is there. And communion is a means to remember the master shepherd, Jesus Christ. But it's also an opportunity, what we're going to look into today, an opportunity for repentance. And I have this thought that I want us to think about today is this, is don't overlook an inward look. Don't overlook an inward look. There's an opportunity here for us to look inward. And a lot of times we avoid that with like a burning passion because if our home, um, we don't take everyone to every corridor of our house, right? The closet where we just stuffed everything or maybe there's a spot in your house you might be a little embarrassed and you're like, people aren't coming over anyway because it's, you know, the pandemic so my house is a mess. But like in our, if our hearts were a home, right? If we look, took an inward look into our heart, into all the closets and all the places, what would we find? And 
we can't overlook this opportunity to look inward because what we find inward actually has more of a devastating effect if we do not take care of it than if we were just to let it go. So the posture of repentance is found all throughout Scripture and, in, and even in the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to look at that really quickly today. And if, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church where we recited the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday, and I think maybe even multiple times. But there's something in the Lord's Prayer that I never got, I never thought of and saw until this past week. Just want to share that honesty with you, okay? Now let me read this to you. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, within this sermon, on the mount, he's teaching his disciples how to pray, because there were many misconceptions and wrong ways to pray. But within there, he gave us a model to follow. We don't need to say that exact phrase every single time we pray, but rather, it is a model of how we should pray. That we need to rejoice in his holiness, recognize that he is king of heaven and earth. We need to request of daily needs and be willing to come to him for those and to even rescue us from temptation and evil. But he also says to seek repentance. Jesus tells his disciples to pray this way. Forgive us our debts. Now, I don't know if, I don't, I don't know why I thought of this, but like, why didn't he just say, forgive us our sins, right? Why does he say debts? They didn't have credit card debt. You know, back then, they had debt, and that's what Jesus is pointing to. It's not the debt of, I owe somebody something, forgive me that debt. It's more specifically targeting sin. Jesus is saying that sin comes with a cost, just like debt comes with interest. Though being in debt is, itself is not a sin, now there's argument there with Dave Ramsey and all that stuff, but like... Um, debt in itself is not wrong. We're all, in, I'm sure many of us, in some sort of debt, whether it's be in a home or a car or a credit card, whatever it may be, there are, I will say this, there are unwise decisions that we can make that are simple. Yes, I understand that. But the point here is this. Jesus uses debt to help us understand the consequences of sin. I've heard this many of times before, and maybe you have as well, but it speaks truth, is that sin will take us further than we want to go. It will keep us longer than we want to stay, and it will cost us more than we want to pay. And that is ultimately the, re the response of sin, what it's going to do within our lives. And being in debt is no fun. And scripture talks about this. The borrower is servant to the lender, right? It, because of this, we are tied down. We're paying interest on money that we don't have, and it's just a mess. And when we're in this position, we feel confined and not free at all. And Jesus is saying, when we sin, we accomplish this accumulating debt. Debt accumulates interest, and interest and these penalties, they're devastating. And I'll say this, it's not just on our spiritual realm, it's also within our families. The sin that we commit has a, a grievous effect. The interest of that debt, of that sin, has a grievous effect on our relationships with other people, on how we, on our work ethic, 
in our heart, in our thoughts, in our minds. It has a, a devastating effect on more than just the closet in our house. It has a, an effect on the whole home. And we have two ways that we can choose to use, choices to do with, deal with this debt. And one is deny the debt. We can try and hide the sin. We can try and cover it up. We can try and maybe even pay it off ourselves with good works. But ultimately, we are going to pay the consequences for those debts, that interest of unforgiven sin. But here, we have a request to receive forgiveness through repentance. And this is what Jesus is talking about within these, the Lord's Prayer. Is we must instead realize our pitiful position, posture our hearts towards humility, and request the forgiveness of the debt. Now, Jesus says, pray this way. Forgive us our debts. And that means we have to have a knowledge of what debts we have. I think if we were to ask everyone, what debts do you have right now? We'd have a knowledge of it. Because why? Because it's kind of hard to forget. Because that letter comes in the mail and says, here's the bill. Here's the interest. Here's you know, how far you're not making it and paying this off, right? And we'd, it's easy not to forget that. But rather, we need to posture our hearts to realize that we need to come before God and, and ask for him to pay that debt. Pay my debt of sin with all its interests, penalties, and pitfalls there. Now, some of us may wonder, how can God forgive all my sin and, and the debt and everything that's going on? James 4.6 says, but he gives more grace. There, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love that first line there but he gives more grace. So it doesn't matter how grievous the sin or how bad it is. He gives more grace. It doesn't matter how much the debt has accumulated. He gives more grace. But it also says that he opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. In repentance, the first step of which is acknowledging that we have a problem. The second is being humble enough to ask. And so that is our first step in Communion is to go and to search our hearts, to ask for the forgiveness of those sins. Communion is a means to remember the master and what he has done for us, but it's also this opportunity of repentance, to not overlook an inward look. So that means we need to quit trying to hide our sin from an almighty God. That didn't work for Cain. That didn't work for uh, Jonah. It doesn't work for us. Stop trying to pay the debt of our sin off if the interest is too high, it's impossible to pay. We need to humble our hearts, request forgiveness through the payment made in Jesus. Notice, it's not, oh, I'm just going to forget that we have a problem, that the debt is there. It's not that. It's he paid it in full with his son's life. And then we need to accept the inheritance. In Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 11, it says, In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have obtained an inheritance. That was verse 11. See, communion, it reminds us that we were sinners and debtors. But now, because of Jesus, we are sons and daughters. Amen? So as we come together, I want to invite Pastor Mike to come forward at this time as he leads us in a time of repentance. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, church, in, in, a, in a few moments, a few minutes, in preparation for the Lord's Supper, we're going to have an opportunity to confess and repent of our sins. But before we do it, I'd like to take a few minutes uh, to walk through a psalm that I believe provides a, a, a vivid, perhaps the most vivid picture of what genuine repentance looks like. Allow me to set the stage. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David, a man who in 1 Samuel 13 was called a man after God's own heart. That's kind of a good title to be known as, right? In other words, David was a believer. He was faithful. God had chosen him to be king over the Israelites. And for all intents and purposes, David served the Lord extremely well. However, there was one devastating exception. See, it only takes one. It only takes one uh, exception to break the rule. 1 Kings 15.5 says, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he had commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So what happened? What is this exception? Well, quickly, in 2 Samuel 11, we're told that David had committed adultery with Uriah's wife. Bathsheba. Now, even though the act of adultery is bad enough, it actually gets a lot worse than that. Numbers 32, 23 says, and be sure your sin will find you out. And friends, that is true across the board. That principle is true across the board. And in David's case, it did not take long for his sin to find him out because Bathsheba revealed to David that she was pregnant. And so it wouldn't be long before David's sin was made public. Again, this was bad, but it was about to get much worse. You see, instead of admitting his guilt and confessing his sin and dealing with the consequences, David, a man after God's own heart, devised an evil plan to try and cover up his offense. You see, he contacted his army general, Joab, and told him, listen, make sure that Uriah... Bathsheba's husband, make sure he's placed in the front lines during the next siege. And when the moment's right, pull back and let him be killed. You follow what I'm saying here? Like David, in other words, David devised a plan to murder the man with whose wife he committed adultery with so he can cover his tracks. We've all seen how this movie ends, right? Well, initially his plan was successful. Uriah was killed, and, and David took Bathsheba to be his wife. And, and in David's eyes, the problem was all cleaned up. It's all taken care of without a trace. But again, Numbers 32, 23, Behold, your sin will find you out. I'd like you to open up your Bibles quickly to Psalm 51. You know, if you look in your Bibles, most of them probably have a header right at the beginning of Psalm 51 that reads something like this. A Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. There's a header on there that says something like that. You see, based upon that header, we know that this Psalm was written sometime shortly after Nathan, God's prophet, confronted David about the sin that he thought he got away with. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, it tells the, 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 the account of, of the, the confrontation that, that Nathan had with David to the point where David 
ended by saying, he confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's kind of a fascinating little account. I encourage you to check it out in 2 Samuel 12. But see, David had gone almost a year with hiding his sin. He thought he was in the clear. You know, a year is a long time. But his sin had finally found him out. And God used the words of Nathan, his prophet, to pierce David's heart. And at that moment, the, the blinders were removed from his eyes. And he began to be overwhelmed by shame and broken by guilt because he sinned against man and God. And he wasn't merely sorry for getting caught. This was genuine contrition. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go and, go and show him his fault in private, and if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Well, here, through this confrontation, we find that Nathan had won over David. And shortly thereafter, David penned the powerful words of Psalm 51. In this psalm, we have a glorious picture of what a broken and repentant and contrite heart looks like. Church, David's example shows us it doesn't matter how bad the sin may be. It doesn't matter how wretched the sinner may be. God has storehouses of mercy, grace, and forgiveness for the repentant sinner who cries out to him. Now, this doesn't mean that your sin is going to go without consequence, but it does mean that God is always faithful to forgive. And 1 John 1, 8, 9 says it best. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At this time, I'd like to invite Carol to come forward and give you the opportunity as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning to get right with the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to examine your hearts and receive God's mercy and grace. I'm going to ask Carol to play. You know, usually because of COVID, we've been kind of moving along pretty quickly through the Lord's Supper. And, and, uh, and we want to give you just a little bit extra time this morning to, to ask God to, to seek or to examine your hearts and ask God to reveal areas of sin so you can confess and repent. And when the time is right after a few minutes, uh, we'll invite Pastor Dave forward. He's going to lead us to the Lord's Supper. So take this time uh, to get right with the Lord. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul records what happened the night that Jesus had um, celebrated communion with his followers there, his closest disciples. Beginning at verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also have given to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also we took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, we just spent some time thinking about the need for repentance and walking through Psalm 51, which is the posture of repentance. It's a pathway to it. And we saw um, God work in David's heart after he was um, after he was convicted of a sin. And before we take communion today, and as we have personally walked through that own pathway of repentance, I want to just bring out a few things about why this memorial service together is so important. The first thing um, comes out in verse 25. It says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And oftentimes when we think about communion, we are remembering the, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We are remembering his suffering on our behalf, what it took for our sins to be paid for. But this morning, I want you to also remember something else. Remember that, simply that our sins have been paid for. You see, so often when we come to times of repentance, um, we experience guilt and shame about what we've done. And we cling on to this idea of, I can't believe I did that. Or, I can't believe that, that I let that happen. But part of communion is remembering not only that Jesus suffered for our sins, but that Jesus completely paid for our sins. And that our guilt and our shame can be placed at the cross and left there because it's been paid for, it's finished. And the second thing that communion, like what makes communion so special is that it is a re- committing our lives to each other and to the Lord. It says in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You are proclaiming that his death was enough, but you are, you are also proclaiming that his death and his sacrifice is worth living for t- today. So when we take communion, one, it, 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 it is a group thing. We are committing our lives to each other. We are committing that as, as much as it depends on me personally, I'm going to live for the Lord. And I am going to encourage other people within this church family to do the very same thing. And then we are committing our lives to the Lord. Said, God, whatever happened between the last time I took the Lord's Supper and this time now, I have asked forgiveness of those things and I am committing myself to a fresh start. So communion this morning is a time to recognize our forgiveness and be committed to a fresh and brand new start. So I'd invite you to to take the elements, and, you know, we're going to open them up, and this cracker represents the, the broken body of Jesus and all the pain and suffering that he went through so that our sins could be forgiven that the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus for us. So let's take this together. This grape juice represents the shed blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. So let's take this together as well. As I just invite the the vocalists to come up, we're going to close out our service. Let me just pray over you guys again. 
So Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we love you so much. And God, we, we are so thankful, as Dan said, we are a forgetful people. So to have something that we can tangibly touch and taste to remind us, God, of what your son Jesus has done on our behalf um, is gracious and kind. And God, I just pray for our church, our church body today. God, I pray for those individuals who have um, maybe dealt, dealt with, with some things this morning that they've never addressed before, God. God, I pray, Lord, that they would just remember, Lord, that, that they are forgiven. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't take that, forgive, take that forgiveness and take that for granted and just say, well, as long as my sins are going to be forgiven, I'm going to live as however I want to live, God. In Romans chapter 6, it says, should I continue in sin so that grace may abound, God? And your response to that is, God forbid, may it never be. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to cling on to that forgiveness, Lord, but also be committed to a fresh start, to following after you, to following after your ways, Lord. God, I just pray, Lord, that this time today would be, would be something that we would do on a regular basis where we set aside time to examine our hearts, get things right with you, get things right with others. And God, may we be just dependent upon of your spirit and your word to guide us forward. So I pray all these things in the name of your son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.